Welcome back to Word 2 Literary. I am your host, Kenny. And I'm Jonathan. And today we are bringing you the sequel we promised we'd bring, Avatar, Way of the Water, Flash now the it, sequel. Flash Avatar 2. Now, is it Way of the Water or The Way of the Water? Should have looked it up beforehand. Caught me. You caught me. I put Way of the Water because that's what I remembered. I am checking now. It is The Way of the Water. You were correct. Oh, shit. I didn't think I was. I thought I was just being a dick. Being snarky? No, you were correct. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we're back with The Way of the Water. And it was one of the few times that I can honestly say I enjoyed the sequel more. I would agree with that. I mean, it was a little more original, a little less Pocahontas, and uh, it was entertaining and obviously just as beautiful as the first one. Yes. James Cameron does what James Cameron does, and he delivers on spectacular visuals and just away with motion effects and CGI. It's really, it just looked great. It did. and. When you read about how he went about filming it and making it happen, you understand why. I mean, if you compare the water scenes in this to Aquaman or Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, there's a drastic difference in how the actors interact in the scene. Yeah. And it, it comes across a little bit more believable in Avatar. Like, his, they filmed underwater. Yeah. They went for as much realism as they could pull off that would blend just perfectly with any cgi any kind of special effects visual effects any of that it they know how to handle that cinematography so well so well and the actors learn to free dive they do to make it more believable which is impressive and before we get into it i want to add that we went to one of the Regal theaters that actually offer a special theater type. This particular theater did a, I think it was 240 degree panoramic visual of the movie. The problem, well, okay, so if you have a Regal, they may have this now part of your theater as well, but they're called Screen X theaters. And so the idea is you get a lot more visual to see. You're able to see it in your peripheral way better than just looking ahead at a screen. But I just want to talk for a minute about how I felt like I was sitting in a theater that was running an alpha test version of the product that they were actually pitching. When we got into the theater, I was expecting to kind of walk into a space where they actually had expanded out the front and gave us a real panoramic view, like a panoramic screen for the whole thing to be displayed on. But instead, it was four additional projectors parked on the left and the right side of the theater pointing at the opposite walls. And they did absolutely nothing outside of just, I think, installing those and maybe removing any kind of additional paneling from the walls. But the walls themselves, in their acoustic form, have a very matte texture to them, not, a, not the screen that you see directly in front of you. And when it actually started the movie and everything, it, I, I believe it's, if I recall correctly, it started out utilizing that whole space. It did. And yeah, right? It utilized the whole space, but as we're getting into it, like the quality of the space was definitely not up to par. If they could, like you said, 
get to a final release version of this the way I imagine it should be, it would be immersive as fuck. I mean, this movie just wrapping around you would really pull you in. As it stood, this one, like the paneling, just really distracted on from the images, the quality of it, you know, it, and as you probably get into the fact that it turned on and off. Yes. Like yes. what the shit? Exactly. So I agree. If they could get to a point of where they actually have the same kind of paneling against the walls or screen against the walls that they have literally in front of you at a movie theater it would have been a superior viewing experience for sure. But because it was like this matte texturing, it was very bizarre because as Jonathan mentioned, the movie itself only utilized that in certain points of the movie. A lot of them were very much the visual scenes, the ones where we were underwater or running through the forest. Those gave us a lot more to kind of look at, but it was definitely those very visually involved scenes and it was cool but the way that it wrapped just didn't feel like it flowed well you could definitely see where the corners of the movie were bending because that's how it looked that's how it looked so i just wanted to talk about that for a second because i was kind of feeling like getting it out there that it, unless your theater is for sure set up for the proper version of this, it's probably not worth it because the price of the tickets were basically the same as like we went to a matinee of it and it was like paying for the regular nighttime primetime tickets. So you're out there looking to save a buck or something. Just saying. I would skip the screen X and I would imagine they're all, I would hope that they're all like this currently because I'd be more annoyed with it if there were better versions out there and we got this one. Yeah. It was the only one in our area. I just wanted to put that little tidbit in there, get that out of the way. But for the film itself, it was very good. It was definitely beautiful. And we kind of start off the same way that we start off in the first one. It's a voiceover of Jake explaining his life with the Navi after joining the Navi as chief of the Omatakaya clan. And it was a welcome intro because it felt familiar and after jake gives us this voiceover introduction again we are brought into realizing that well jake and Natiri hooked up they had kids there's lots of them they're, they're they boned a lot they are obviously a couple based on the fact that the movie ended as such it pretty much sounded like they were married for all intents and purposes i believe so so, yeah, they had several kids. They had Netiyam, Lowak, Tuk, and Kiri, which I'm not going to fool you guys. <laughs> I had those names in front of me because there's no way I was going to remember that. No, not a shame. Of course not. <laughs> and honestly, I won't lie until I saw it written out. I thought they were calling Netiyam Noah. Yeah, that's actually what I thought too, but they were calling them Neti. Yeah, I didn't realize. I thought similarly. Well, and we have to explain that only three of them are their biological kids. The fourth, Kiri, is the reincarnation of Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. It got, I'm not uh, sure. Race Augustine, her character, by the... Oh, man, I'm doing this way too late, but I'm just going to say it anyways. As always, we are going to spoil the snot out of this. This is the whole point. 
and you've been given fair warning in the past and in our synopsis below the episode. But uh, yeah, we're going to start spoiling some stuff right now. So no turning back if you haven't seen this. And if you haven't seen it, you honestly should before you listen, because it'll add a lot more understanding of the context. (laughs) And despite how we may feel about certain things, it is a great movie to see in theaters. Truly. Like the spectacle of it is why I go to see movies in theaters. It's just outstanding on that screen. Yeah, definitely. So this is supposedly the biological daughter of Grace Augustine's avatar. So kind of a reincarnation because by the time we get further down into the story, there's an event that occurs where you see Kiri and Grace together and you eventually start to realize that there's some sort of a connection between Kiri and Grace based on this event that occurs a little bit later. And you're, I'm still caught up in it, man. Like, I'm not certain if it's that they are one and the same as if there, I think the original theory that I had was that Fury is race having been reborn as an actual Navi and getting and, the opportunity to kind of like experience life again, sort of. And in a way, that is what I picked up on as well. Is it entirely? I'm not sure. I mean, that's kind of what I get as I watch the movie, but it's not kind of what I feel. Yeah. In a way, is it more like truth or is it more truly like Awa and Grace somehow their pieces of their spirits have joined to create a new soul that is Kiri? Right. Yeah. Is there is more to her than just the fact that she looks like Grace. She as the movie progresses, she has more and more of a connection to Awa, to the planet, yes. and is able to do things that nobody else can. So, yeah, in a way, I feel like it's more like truly a child of these two souls that just sounds like Sigourney Weaver and kind of looks like her. Which make the, I don't know if it was intended, but the subplot of romance between the only human child and Kiri a little weird yeah yeah i suppose so that would definitely be a way to look at it from a okay this is clearly not how it's intended i don't think of course not i mean she's intended to be a similarly aged child yeah it is interesting in the sense that they did absolutely use sigourney as the motion capture as the motion capture yeah as the actor blending expression and ocean to the character while filmed yeah there was definitely some similarity of course and it makes sense it was effectively her daughter right so yeah and then we also learned that they have a human friend who is a boy named spider and that one really kind of threw me because definitely wasn't expecting that they kind of introduced us to this kid and i don't know did it feel obvious to you right off the bat because some part of about me, his parentage yeah some inkling yes. was immediately in my mind that i was like that's gonna be the son of the bad guy correct i mean once they tell you about how oh he was born on planet and then because babies can't grow in cryo he was left behind i'm just like you're gonna be Quidditch's kid sorry sorry probably gonna be quidditch's kid 
oh my gosh, you're going to keep doing it. <laughs> At this point, yes, as long as I can remember to do so, most definitely. But we learn of Spider, who was a left behind child. With, he was left behind with the human scientists on Pandora after a previous group evacuated, and we learned that babies couldn't be put in cryostasis. So they're, he's an adoptive human to the rest of the Omatakaya clan. And I guess those air masks are somehow infinitely able to convert the Pandora air into breathable human air. It probably uses unobtainium. But yes, I think as long as the battery on it's working, it can actively scrub the air clean for human. Did the Navi just have a bunch of batteries? <laughs> well, as we kind of see, I like some uh, humans stayed behind. True. So they're all the equipment's still up and running. Probably just but like yes. rechargeable and stuff. Yeah, I'm sure at this one it's like solar, but who knows? But who knows? they have rechargeable batteries because there's even a mention. I think of at least once, if not a couple times, where you know spiders warn to like take an extra battery or take an extra something with them. Definitely a minor detail that I don't know why I'm thinking into so hard, but yeah. So we learn a little bit more about Spider. The kids play. They get in trouble. They do kid things. It's a lot of kid things, which is movie speak for a lot of stupid shit. True, and they're kids. It's that whole kids will be kids mentality, except until there's an actual moments of bliss that they're all experiencing kind of end suddenly when the sky people return and start attacking and destroying a lot of the forest and wildlife. And as they're trying to ward off these attacks, we kind of get to see Jake as an actual leader of a sabotage party. Did they take out the train first. They blow up the tracks, causing the train to derail. And then, yeah, swoop in and, like, take down the attack helicopters with their bow and arrows. Which, again, those bow and arrows, they're so big. Yeah. Although, I feel like, at some point, John Smith gets (laughs) a gun that's, like, Navi size. But I don't remember if he has one here or if he picks it up late. John Smith? Oh, sorry. Jake Sully. (laughs) Okay, yeah, no, you did that on purpose. (laughs) So they sabotage a supply train and steal a bunch of their guns. The kids are nearby, but they're only supposed to be scouts. They end up swooping in and trying to pull off some heroism nonsense. And sure enough, they end up getting caught in like a crossfire and an explosion that knocks them. And yeah, so... You learn that there's an older brother and a younger brother, which I believe is... Etiam is the older brother and Loak is the younger one. Okay. Because Tuk was the young daughter. Correct. So yeah, Netiam and then Loak get into a little bit of a mess. And fortunately, neither one of them actually gets gravely injured or anything like that. But uh, we get that... Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing as well as the brotherly shenanigans that all brothers get into so the fight against the humans is still on they haven't totally stopped trying to mine the snot out of pandora for something more than just the is it unobtainium or was that well that was the first one this one there's a new miracle resource a new miracle resource that now that this is what they're going to yeah yeah, it actually gets kind of 
sad and poachy later. After this whole event goes down and the kids get pulled to safety and everything, the next big attack from the sky people come and it leaves another just horrible mess. So after seeing some serious devastation, I, I got a bit ahead of myself there. The whole fight with the kids actually occurs just a little later. There is a moment of some unfortunate happenings that occur earlier on when we are introduced to the kids. Jake's going through a little bit of his voiceover still, and we actually see RDA ships come out and destroy just huge parts of the forest and kill a bunch of wildlife. And they manage to get away, but they see just horrible devastation left behind. So then we're ahead to a year later when we get our favorite villain back, Colonel Miles Warwich. But the colonel wakes up and he's actually in an avatar. He's got his own avatar body now because they decided that they were going to tell us in the second movie that they backed up everybody else's brains and personality. They still take some issue with this, but we'll get to that sure. later. I mean, I take a lot of issues with this in the sense that they may, they backed up Corich and his like certain teammate, but not everybody. Definitely I mean, some it, very it's very Marines. Yeah. And it's just a, an odd development. Like, I think I'd understand it more if it was just Corich and well, they have more Navi soldiers, but maybe these are people who have opted to have the transferness fully or the consciousness fully transferred. Sure. Yeah. Make it a little bit a little more dark and interesting, I think. It just makes me wonder why the writers didn't come up with a new big bad because instead they decided to keep the big bad and then turn him into a resurrected big bad a stronger more powerful enemy and then they gave him a kid too and they were like this seems like the antagonist we need where i, I don't know you ooed so i'm wondering what you got just a change i would have done that i think would have played in well with this so okay. if they're keeping these like soldiers of his who got their memory back their consciousness back to, they could have brought back michelle rodriguez as one of those characters that's what i'm saying and then you have this interesting dynamic of because she wouldn't have remembered the whole no shit when does she turn against them that's when they're destroying the tree it's towards then the she, end, so she could have backed herself up prior to that and would only have the knowledge that she did no, up to that point I, when she I'd left have the to, video log for herself. Yeah, but I think I'd have to dig back into the first one. I'm pretty sure they destroy the tree. She turns on them. They escape and regroup, and then there's a big battle in the Hallelujah Mountains, and it's before the big battle in Hallelujah is when her memory gets or when Quidditch's memory gets backed up. So it, that doesn't Did quite they explicitly work. say that, though. I don't remember them specifying that it was before the final fight. They just kind of made yeah. it seem like it inserted itself. No. I mean, if we watch it again, I'm pretty sure he specifies that in about two hours, they're going to go assault the Navi. Well, then in that case, we'll make a note of it. 
Yeah, set the backup to before the betrayal, just so she can come back. Yeah, exactly. I mean, why not? Why not give her a reason to return because she was one of the best characters? It'd be it really funny fun. if she. It'd be really funny if she turned twice, though. Like she does it the first time, she realizes what's going on again, and she does it a second time. <laughs> well, uh, it definitely okay. make for an interesting nature. Ooh, maybe she becomes the final villain. Oh, Quidditch. We see this overarching path where he becomes more a native Navi, but she becomes more of the villain. It would have been fun just to see Michelle Rodriguez get an opportunity to do something like that, right? That's fair. Yeah, it would have been a lot of fun. All right, we can go over more changes later or as they come up. Fair. So then we get back to the point where I was kind of referring to. He relearns about himself in the form of his video log where he picks up on the fact that he's the same individual just in a different body and not his original self because he doesn't have all the original bits um in fact that's something that happens a little later on i'll just touch on it now because it's a minor detail but he eventually finds himself in the aftermath of the first movie where he was pierced through the heart by a gigantic arrow and twice yeah three times i mean it was no you're right twice but man big arrows they look like small logs he grabs his own skull okay and he picks it up and he holds it in his hand where he can see the skull facing him and i'm like you know what it's really morbid but if that were me i'd be like cool i want my old i want my old skull as a souvenir fuck yeah mount that on a wall or yeah do something neat with it but no he looks at it with hatred it's like Man, I was a weak human back then. And then he just crushes it with his new giant avatar hands. And I'm like, bro, what a waste of a really dope skull that happened to actually be yours. Like, who else can say that? Who else can be like, yeah, that's my skull from when I was a human? Nobody. Well, I guess Jake Sully could have. I guess. I'm sure they buried his body or did something with it. Or do you just like chuck the corpse into the river be like i'm done with that i don't know but still i'm just like courage man lighten up anyway so he gets a chance to relearn himself we jump into a kids are being kids again spider is seemingly into kiri kiri is seemingly into spider it kind of and then the kids joke about who kiri's dad is she gets a little offended when they say it could be Norm. And I don't know. That seems all right. He's a, he was a cool dude. <laughs> He's not a bad guy. Yeah, I enjoy him. Didn't we only really see him in the very beginning? And that was basically it. Of this movie? Of two? Yeah. Yes. Because we, I mean, what, 30, 45 minutes or whatever into the movie? Not really sure. But as we're going to get to, like, they flee the Pikaia and head across the ocean to a new species of Navi or a new faction of Navi, I guess. Yeah, I think faction fits. So we learn a little bit of history there. It continues to tell more about the kids, kind of give us a little bit more of a connection with them. We see Quaritch again, kind of come back into getting used to the base, meeting the new general, who is a very stern lady. and. She's ready to put up with nothing, truly. She's seen her amount of shenanigans and knows that 
nobody's getting in her way. And so they get a little bit of information about what they're going to be doing and how they're actually still trying to go after Jake Sully and his family. And it's because of how much of the operations he's succeeded against the sky people. So kind of a classic. He's doing too much damage. He's got to be taken out. And it gets to the point where when it finally happens, the kids get themselves caught and Jake has to figure out how to get the kids back before they finally flee. And they leave the Omatakaya clan in an effort to save their home, save their people, and get the Sky people off their back. But in the rescue attempt of the kids, Spider does get captured by Quidditch and his team. Yes, Spider does get captured and the rest of them escape. I mean, Spider is a character I don't think is well utilized. In some ways, it, you know, it, again, brings in this audience surrogate as you now watch this human kid trying to fit in with the Navi and the, then being forced to, like, interact with humans and go along with what they're doing. Yeah. Which, as fierce as he tries to be, and maybe they did a good job here, but later on, he's, a, in a way, a coward when Korch is searching for Jake. On the Metakaina? Metakaina? Maybe? I'm not sure. Metkaina. Metkaina? Yeah. Okay. We'll go with that. When they're when Korish is searching amongst those people, he is aghast at what they're doing, but doesn't try and stop them, doesn't do anything other than why. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think I would have liked to see more from him. And then the little romance subplot, like it's kind of weird but we'll see where this goes i think they're building him up i do think that they're gonna try and make more of spider in the coming films because we got five of them and it was said that james cameron has already filmed the scenes necessary for the sequences in the next film and possibly the remaining two i'd need to fact check myself on that fully but they very much made it sound like he went, I don't want the Stranger Things ha- thing to happen with the kids. Right. And so they he got did. all of their stuff out of the way. I, and he did definitely say that. And from what I read, the third Avatar film is completely filmed. It's, I think, in post-production. And then I want to say like 80% of Avatar 4 might be filmed, or maybe they filmed the necessary stuff for the kids for Avatar 4. Well, could be. And... Currently, the release schedule for these movies is every two years. So 2024, I think, should be Avatar 3 with 2026 and then 2028, respectively, for 4 and 5. Oh, did Avatar? This one came out in December, didn't it? December of 2022. Okay, okay. That means it'll probably be December of 2024. And how that feels actually like it's not that far. Well, saying those... It took 13 years for this one to come out. That's a pretty drastic increase in speed or a short time. True. So getting back on it, they left for the Metkayina clan of the Navi, which are on the eastern seaboard of Pandora, or at least in the eastern direction, which jumping into the characters of that clan, we had Tonawadi, who is the clan leader, and Ronal, who is his pregnant wife, that 
whole movie, I had no clue that, that was Kate Winslet. They did such a good job with her aesthetic, and she did just the right amount of work with her. What is the language called? Is it just Navi? I believe so. The Navi language. Yeah. I don't think they've given a name to it. Yeah. So she spoke the Navi language well enough that I did not pick up on that being her. And so she really sold that character as that character because I wouldn't have guessed. You can see it in the faces of Kiri. Like you can see elements of the de-age Sigourney in the face. You can see Sam Worthington in Sully in Jake Sully's face. You can see a little bit of I can't not. Oh no, I'm stuck on Uhura. Zoe Saldana. Zoe Saldana. I got there first. I got there. There no, you did. Same did. time. Same time. Zoe. You can there. see the appearance of Zoe a little bit in in Natiri. I would actually say that for Natiri, they did a good job of Zoe sells the character very well. Also. But you can see more elements of the human aspects in the ones that I just mentioned. And so I'm just really impressed with Kate Winslet's portrayal of Renal. So that's why I bring that up. She's very much like they can't join our clan. They need to keep moving. Don't give them safe harbor here. And Tonawari is like, come on. They, he was Torakmato. He was Torakmato. You know, and they give big, it up. That big flying the big cool flying dude that bigger i think they were ikrans i don't know if i'm pronouncing half of these words correctly i hope i am i tried to listen very closely so we did our best don't come at us right now that jake and the family have been accepted into the metkayina clan and they're now part of the clan they're expected to be like the clan to learn their ways and to become very much involved in their culture and essentially become part of the family that is this clan. And so we get a montage, so to speak, of the next, gosh, I don't know, hour and see, this movie was three hours and 12 minutes. I want to say that from zero to one hour was basically the introduction to the transition of them becoming introduced to the Metzkayina clan and beginning to get involved and learn the ways of their clan. And then from hour one to two is very much just the interactions amongst the clan, the way that the kids are learning the ways and also kind of being teased by the existing clan kids it's very much kids being kids it really is it's the family and the kids and the trials and tribulations that you have when you're first kind of introducing yourself to a new family honestly and it's very unique and fun in the way that they tell the story of this we get more of the personality of each one of the kids and netayam always finds a way to defend his younger brother loak and Loak's starting to step up and be a little bit more of a man. So we see some growth there as it, as it continues, there's still trouble that gets made. The kids fight, the chief's son tries to beat up Loak and it's just kids being kids. I want to just totally kids being kids. It 
if I were to recap it, you would be like, okay, yeah, this is the story of kids learning to get along with each other and be good. At one point, there's a bit of a tiff, and after the fight happens, the chief son comes back around and asks Loak to go on a hunt with them. They go out into the ocean and they show Loak where they're going to hunt for fish. He goes underwater to start hunting for him and then they take off and they leave him there. And so then we get introduced to an actual new species that I can certainly say I wasn't expecting. Piacons? or no there were no the the whale creatures were uh, the tolcoons tolcoons yes we got introduced to three creatures so to speak yes and i don't i only know the name of the tolcoon which is the whale creatures the tolcoon was the whale creatures i think the surak were the water creatures that could fly they were the same kind of creature as the ikron where it was the water version of the creatures that they actually fly on in the forest. And so that was the Surak. Also forgot to mention, Loak actually finds a love interest in a the daughter of the chieftain. Her name, I think, is Saria or something along those lines. I should have wrote, written down more of their names. But anyway, so we do get introduced to a, a couple new species. And the more... I guess important one, so to speak, is like as opposed to just being a helpful mount to the Navi. The Tolkun are this. Oh, Payakon was its actual. That's what it was. The Tolkun are apparently like a very intelligent and capable of communicating species that verbally, which I thought was odd. Yeah, they're but, able to. Well, kind of talk to each other verbally it's weird but oh right we just prior to meeting the first tolkun payakon lowak is actually he catches a fish and as he is trying to figure out what happened to the kids that invited him along he gets attacked by an aquila which is a very big scary genuinely frightening fish that as it chases yeah. him around that screen that was a fierce cat and mouse moment. It was a pretty intense chase that was like reminiscent of Jaws, maybe. Sure. Or maybe more Jurassic Park, but it was intense. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it very much the whole time. It was as if, as if he was being chased by a shark that was much larger than any shark. Almost Megalodon size. Almost. Not quite, but oh, very close. large. And then... The Tolkun, known as Payakon, comes through and manages to save Loak from getting eaten. After killing it, Payakon swims around Loak until they have an opportunity to bond. And of course, you can kind of imagine as an abandoned character from being picked on, he of course makes a friend out of somebody who is also considering themselves as alone. And... They form that bond. He returns to the isles that the clan is on that he's visiting where he gets in trouble again, basically, because we learn that particular Tolkun is actually an outcast among the other Tolkun for what we learn later to be a misunderstanding. 
No way. I mean, the reason why they outcasted him as per the the Medkaina is certainly what actually happened, but he did get violent. They weren't wrong. That's true. That's true. They were not supposed to kill, and they did. This particular Tolkun did, and that ended up causing the other deaths in the area to be blamed on this particular one. And so, anyways, that's kind of the quick and dirty of that story is they were falsely accused of more than what they had actually done, but they still kind of had their right for whatever purpose, I guess. So we learn a little too about Kiri and she's got some very unique abilities beyond that of the typical Navi that we've seen. She can actually connect with Awa greater than any of the others. And so she ends up being able to kind of, I mean, I joked about it while we were watching it in the theater that she's kind of got this water bendy ability to her. And it's more that she just is in tune with the creatures, not so much the water itself, but she was able to like connect with those things. Well, she very much demonstrates magic powers. I mean, she seems to be some kind of embodiment of Awa because yeah, she is like commanding or guiding the animals around and was able to like you said, connect with them in a way that the others cannot. Right. And we also kind of get that she's homesick and really frustrated to not be at home. She eventually kind of lightens up a bit about the situation and heads out with the kids to practice some more swimming. And she has this very strong innate ability to just breathe underwater for the most part. Like at one point, she ends up with this very cool, nascent butterfly looking creature that they can just put on their backs and suddenly they can breathe underwater better or maybe even permanently, but as long as it's on their back, right? But correct. yeah, she just seemed like she could hold her breath forever and it didn't seem to bother her. And they kind of demonstrate that towards the very end of the movie, but we'll come back to that. The whole... Fury thing happens. We learn a lot. We get to see them go to the Metkayina Tree of Souls where he connects herself to learn more, connect with Awa there, but suffers a very rough seizure that forces her to be disconnected and brought back to shore where they have to basically resurrect her. Norm does show up at this point. I do remember that they managed to get a airship out there an airship out there to help with Kiri, but then they're not able to do much. And Ronal comes in all flustered that there are sky people there, but then offers to help anyways. And they leave and she helps and they manage to bring her back. She was basically in a temporary coma. But after that, I don't think we see Norm again, which is just, yeah. No, I think he's gone. I mean, no, because pretty much, I mean, once we, once, Sully and the family leave the Omakaya. We never go back to Right. And this is honestly the connecting point here where Quaritch is waiting for the opportunity to track where Jake's gotten away to. They haven't been able to figure it out at this point. And this is the trigger here that causes the catalyst to bring the next act along, which, as I said, is kind of like where I feel like our one connects to our two. 
Quaritch is informed by one of the teammates that a radar picked up a gunship that is rogue that was the same one that Norm came in on. And so they figure out that they are in the eastern side where there's these aisles and they start heading in that direction. They meet up with a whaling vessel that's operated by a pretty dick of a captain and the doctor who we learn a little bit more about later that is particularly there for the Tolkoon that they're hunting because we learn later that the Tolkoon are being hunted and what I did not realize here either was that the doctor Dr. Garvin I believe is Jermaine Clement yep he did such a good job it was very entertaining and I was surprised you didn't pick up on that I didn't know. I was shocked. I uh, he was the crab in Moana. He was. He. I mean. Yeah. Oh, I've seen yes. him in other things, but for me, it's Flight of the Concords. Of you course, know, he really got down to business on this one. Well, and he's he's Vladislav in What We Do in the Shadows, and he's also one of my other favorite characters, which is Bart from Rick and Morty. Really? Fart. Fart? Yeah. You remember the episode where Trombopulus Michael, the assassin, he's going to a, he's going to assassinate Fart and then Morty accidentally kills Trombopulus Michael and, and then Morty tries to save Fart and Fart sings the songs that causes everybody to crash. Oh my gosh, you don't remember the episode I, I right now. I don't. Oh my hey, gosh. Like, we'll have to get into that later. I have not watched like the newest season. It's not even the newest season, dog. <laughs> really? Yeah. I'm real bad. It's actually maybe the reason why you don't remember it is because it was in season one or two. Oh, wow. Okay. The only extra bit of context that I can give that might help you remember is here I go killing again. Oh, that that is familiar. Not perfect, but that is very familiar. Yeah. And I last detail, I believe that's also where you meet Gearhead for the first time. No, that's not where you meet Gearhead. doesn't matter. Not the show we're talking about right now. Anyways, I was surprised that it was Jermaine Clement. I really love him and a lot of the stuff that he does, and he did a great job in this too. He really ran away with being a comedic relief character, even though his role was kind of serious too. We are quickly shown the power of this whaling vessel where we later learn that they are going to go on an attack and discover that... Actually, I'll get there. We learn a little bit more about the bonding and we also learn that Ronal has a soul sister in another Tolkoon known as Roa. And that's a pretty important detail there because Quaritch and the whaling team end up merciless, mercilessly taking out a Tolkoon to show just how dickish they are. Basically, because they well, show up on that little island and start threatening the native Navi there in an effort to extort Jake's location, but they don't know. Right. Well, and it's also here where it's revealed to Spider the new unobtainium of this movie, which I hope James Cameron comes up with a new reason for humans to be here every film. Yeah. Yeah. And so Spider gets to witness his not father father be his fake father. Well he or I was going to say human being, a horrible Navi as he basically threatens the lives of, of these native people. He, Spider 
really tries to calm the air, but it's just there's nothing you can do. They kill a Tolkoon very mercilessly to show they're just dicks. And yeah, they start burning down their village and they leave. So they're hoping that burning down the village is going to draw Jake to them. We move on to Loak continuing to try to understand Pyakon's history and why they became an outcast. And they link and Loak sees the memories and understands what happened. And it's because he attacked because whalers killed his mother and family. But then a bunch of native Navi end up dying, some of the Metakaina. And so they outcasted Pyakon thinking that he also killed some of the Navis. So we learn about this. Nobody believes Loak, but Saria does, who is the love interest of Loak throughout the this portion of the movie. Well, actually, it stays true pretty much at the end. But I mean, there's a lot of love interests. True. And yeah. So now, let me try that again without the so. Now we know more about Roa and some of the other Tolkoon. Well, it flashes to Horich and Captain McDick, who they're gonna go. They're gonna go hunt down a whale to try and draw in Jake. They have figured out that killing the Tolkoon is likely to bring attackers. Well, it turns out that the one that they end up going after ends up being Roa, and they succeed. And we learn about this is the unobtainium you're referring to. Yes. Yes. So. They take out Roa. Don't remember what it's called. They did call it something, didn't they? They had a name for it, yeah. Which is the new MacGuffin, like, what did it stop human aging or something? Yeah, it was an anti-aging remedy. It literally would reduce the aging dramatically, I guess. But of course, just another thing for the humans to want, something more to exploit from this planet that is so beautiful. Really just... It is very much a story of human beings just being destroyers of everything. Yeah. No respect. (laughs) No respect. They're just showing up to colonize and take shit over and fuck indigenous people. Pretty much. Yeah. Which, again, Pocahontas dances with wolves. Moving on. They take out Roa. We learn about this unobtainium and it's bad. Loak finds out that the Tolkoon are being marked for death and runs off to warn his brother, his father, everybody. This leads into Act 3. This is hour 2 to 3. I'm fairly certain that this is broken down into like hour-long segments of each of these kind of events as they unfold. This is the final act. We're going into Horish and Jake eventually facing off once more. They head off to warn... Hayakon, who manages to already be hit with a tracker, they save Hayakon from being a target, but ultimately end up getting caught once more. This brings Jake and Natiri back out into the fight, but they manage to also, they've won over the Metakaina warriors, they've won over the chief, and... They believe that their fight is one and the same now, and so they come together to fight the sky people and the fake the avatars, the fake Navis. And it starts this final setup of various events that are kind of, they're not all tropish, but it very much relies on... They're some tropish for sure. 
yeah, it very much relies on the typical, I've got your kid, you're going to come collect and nobody's going to get hurt. But no, a lot of people are going to get hurt. It does start a really cool sequence of events where the Jake is being forced to give himself up because most of the kids are caught and they are currently on the ship tied to the railings and looking as though they could be executed at any moment. So Jake is willing to come alone. He starts moving in, but then Pyakon sees his soul brother in danger because Loak and Pyakon actually bonded in the way that Ronald did with Roa, where they have this soul bond. Sorry, that just reminded me of Slut Dragon. They had a soul bond. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry about the Rick and Morty references, everybody. But so <laughs> he sees his soul brother in danger, leaps out of the water, slams down onto the vessel, and starts just destroying this whaling vessel by rolling, basically doing whale things and just rolling around on it. Which was very entertaining. I enjoyed this final epic fight. It was very good. They roll around on the ship. It knocks a bunch of dudes down, breaks a bunch of stuff. They can't manage to get any shots off. It keeps using its head, which is actually apparently like made of vibranium or something because it's just, it's impenetrable. And so there's this, there's this big fight of Pyakon just holding his own. And the Navi charge into battle at this point. We get this big fight amongst them all. They managed to do their awesome sky battle that they did in the first one, but in the water and on the surface, it was an epic fight. Like if you can imagine the first one's final battle scene in the sky, you can probably imagine something similar on water. And that's what you got. James Cameron once again delivered on a stunning visual battle. It was pretty epic. Like, and it made more sense, I felt. Yeah. Then the final battle, the first one. It did. It it felt more cohesive. I think that they had a lot of fun with this one. There was still use of giant arrows. Don't worry. Those destroyed some cockpits. They did a great job. They have just the biggest fight. And the kids keep like getting away and getting caught and getting away and getting caught. But then Kiri uses her powers to manipulate the ocean. And it works. She does some cool stuff and it gets some of the whalers. Spiders manages, Spider manages to get away from his captors. He is not having any of Quaritch's nonsense because earlier on, there's a little bit of an interaction between him and Quaritch where Quaritch basically is like, you know what? I'm not your dad. I'm not. But it seems like all just part of the ploy. And the fight continues. Spider rejoins the Navi family. The kids get captured one more time netzyam actually comes along to rescue everybody and succeeds but not without getting hurt badly and this is the point of the movie where jonathan and i both realized that netzyam did not get a lot of screen time and attention and so the sudden demise of his character made a lot more sense than i expected i would that's correct i mean like, we definitely got a lot more of Loak and Kiri. So it was just not unexpected to watch Netham go down. So I sense he was, I don't know, constantly in danger throughout and always at the expense of his brother. Yeah, yeah. And he's, they get him away. They get him to 
an area where they can kind of look to help him a little bit, but they don't have the stuff they need in order to really treat him properly. And he does end up passing. And Natiri has a full on meltdown of the loss of her son, which is devastating. And you can see the transformation of her from being just destroyed by this to being like, I'm going to murder every last sky person I come across. <laughs> and she and the avatars and the avatars. She nearly that. does. She nearly does. So this is the intro to the final fight. They get on the ship. They're going to save Kiri and Tuke, who are still hostages of Quaritch. And Quaritch is just goading him on because he's on the same frequency of the radio that they're on. They get in there. They do their fights. There's a moment where after Nateria is basically slaughtered all of Korish's team in retribution, she ends up catching up with Jake and Korish. After Jake frees Tuke, Korish has actually got Kiri in a knife hold and is ready to cut her if he has to, to which Nateria decides to respond by grabbing Spider and basically saying we trade and anyways no why no because that's not a word <laughs> what's not a word it's not plural anyway uh, maybe you're making it plural anyway the plural nation anyway natiri makes a threat against spider's life quarage denies it denies that he has any care for him this is all like the crucial build-up detail that leads to this big tense moment where Forge actually does end up showing that he has some feelings for his son, not son. And yet they still manage to get Spider and Kiri away. They're safe. But then Quaritch and Jake start fighting. The vessel starts to capsize. There's a cool underwater fight scene. Honestly, pretty badass a fight to the death sort of situation. But after he manages to choke out Quaritch and he sinks away the family's stuck in this capsized vessel until Kiri pulls off her awesome connection to Awa to help bring everybody to safety before it's too late and even Spider gets in on the saving action and saves none other than you bet Quaritch still don't know how I feel about that. I mean I think one of those things that could have been changed would be to develop maybe a little bit more of the relationship between the two, because I understand, I think, what they're going for, which is the idea that Spider's looking for a father and does feel some kind of connection and so saves him because, because of that. But I, I feel like told that more than shown. And I almost wonder if there's a little bit of, like, just that code of Quaritch did show empathy enough to save Spider from actually being killed by Natiri, even though it's not fully clear if Natiri would have done so because she just cuts him across the chest. Even though that's still rough, that's like, okay, he's not dead or even really no, hurt. But I got a feeling she probably would have murdered him if given an opportunity. Probably could be. Either way. Spider actually ends up being like, I saved you, but that's all I owe you. Goodbye. And goes back to Jake and the rest of their family. 
at which point Jake's like, we've put you through too much. We're going to leave again. They hold a funeral for Netiam where he returns to Ewa through the Tree of the Souls, Tree of Souls. They, Jake and Natiri have a really nice moment where they see Netiam through the tree, through their memories, and they are offered to stay, in which case Jake recognizes the Metakayina clan as his family's new home and vows to continue to fight and protect. And we get a little bit of that voiceover towards the end. And that's where the movie part two, Avatar two of five wraps up. Honestly, it was really well-rounded as far as I'm concerned. The things I would change personally, because I'm just going to jump right into it, I guess. Let's do it. It's really about the dialogue for me. And of course, I can't quote a lot of it because really the announce it (laughs) aside from that really the parts that i i remember the parts that i really want to change which isn't a ton it's just the vernacular that they use the way that the (laughs) i'm sorry but this is a foreign world this is bro yes i'm sorry but they use the term bro so frequently so frequently amongst the children that it's like Am I watching an alien of any kind right now, or am I just watching human boys? Hold on a second. I got to switch my headset head power. I mean, I think that Say also that ties into some, I would agree, because that also ties into some dialogue changes I'd want for me. Like, these are Navi kids that, yes, one parent used to be human, but somehow everyone talks in English. All the Navi do. and. Yeah. Their language is intersparse. And it would be different, I think, if I was given the impression that they were speaking their language and we were just simply hearing English to make it more palatable rather than reading subtitles for three hours. Which, don't get me wrong, I have nothing against that. I enjoy subtitles. I watch everything with subtitles. But they switch back and forth so much that, no, somehow... Even though there's some isolation that's going on between the different factions or different nations, they all know how to speak English. Yeah. Even though first one, like almost nobody does struggle. It's just one of those like quirks. And I guess sometimes you give things up to the magic of movies, but that's where I'd, like I said, I would do it so that way they just all spoke English and tried to give the impression that we're, they were actually speaking. I agree. It's and drop the bro very weird that it's native english while they mix in navi language it definitely takes away from that feeling of immersiveness but yeah it's mostly the row for me that it just got to me after but i was like they're using this a lot to talk to each other and i'm just not feeling it i'm not feeling it and that's okay it's yeah. just a small detail. As far as the rest of the storyline, I agree with you from earlier about really giving Spider a bit more purpose, a bit more to do. He doesn't really step up until the very end where in the fight, they he helps, helps things along by forcing the vessel to kind of careen itself. By breaking Which is badass. It was. That was the big moment for him. And I mean, it didn't feel like he was necessarily the type of individual to wait 
as long as he did to make an attempt at escaping. He really did wait until that at that end moment. And his character has this very feral nature about him. So I would have expected it far sooner. I would I know they warn him that in his mask is a tracker. And if he were to try and get away, they'd be able to find him and bring him back real easy. But at the same time, it seemed like he could have done something to steal one of the other crewmen's masks and then tried to get away that way. If there was a chance that there wasn't any tracker involved, that might have been something that I would have done is give him an opportunity to actually get free and get back to them before it became a situation at the end. Because honestly, the amount of damage that the Atakaya did to the ship was enough to do what it did. So, yeah, there was just some elements of that I would have considered adjusting. And I'd agree. I'd expand on that a little bit. The whole tracker thing, either show it to us before telling us or they tell us. But Spider still tries, still shows that he's this headstrong kid who's not going to take this laying down and tries to get away only for him to prove that. Yeah, no, we have a tracker. Drag you. Yeah, even just a light inclination to him being as stubborn and strong-willed as his dad even though he would be hopefully using it in more of a good protagonist manner whereas we know Quaritch to be stubborn and strong-headed will have strong-willed for the wrong reason right so those are a few of the things that I would would mix up I can't really say that I have the ability to rewrite much of what they put together for this because it is a very well put together story in the sense that it does push itself away from being very much like a Pocahontas because that's the reference we've chosen to keep making (laughs) and because that is the case this might actually be a good opportunity for us to mention that we're going to be exploring some movies beyond the mainstream a little bit to cover some other types of movies that we feel like we could more adequately add some substance and better writing to right even though we're just offering our own opinions of the way that the story could have gone we think it would be fun to give you guys something a little bit more substantial than this was a great movie but we at least i don't have a ton that I would necessarily change about it. Is there more that you would change that I, that we haven't already talked about? There's definitely a few things that I think I would have liked to have done. I mean, there's the things I've mentioned. There's also, a, again, we're back to the idea of Jake Sully, the next colonizer, like being the one to lead everyone and save the day. The, the kids have more of a part. I would have liked to have developed Nathaniel more to have more impact for his death watch him develop more other than just the role of big brother who's always trying to save his family only for it to go wrong or even maybe combined Netiam and Loak into a single role as Gary or Tuck is the younger sibling that he's protecting and that way there's more screen time there's more impact to the death uh, that's you know? a great point and actually I do want to ask you would it have made sense to still let Netia's character die. Do you think that they could have benefited the 
movies in the future a little more like maybe number maybe the sequel here could have been a nobody in the family died situation to give more impact to potential loss in the next film sure i think you could definitely go that route i mean we grace dies in the first one which we're not quite expecting this one can be a little redundant with another main character dying so to speak and if we keep them alive into the third movie rather then there's even more impact if you do bring his death into it showing the stakes are serious that not everyone can survive like it's real life so to speak and things can happen yeah and having watching grow that much longer there's more connection to them yeah i agree i like the idea of seeing these way of the way of water with the metkayina people they were cool but all these navi are very much taking after distinct indigenous people of our own world and i mean they're trying to play homage to that but it maybe could have been a little bit more different or maybe you fuse more to make them a little more distinct rather than because i believe they're very much based on maori people and there's again like drop the nether version of unobtainium and there i mean truthfully the movie almost introduces two reasons for humans coming to pandora because they mention how i think earth is no longer habitable for them and this super special whale juice that makes them ageless i don't feel like you need both or i don't know like they they keep introducing new stuff about this planet that is so magical and they have to come here just starts to stretch my my suspension of belief a bit i'd like to see one more through line like if anything i get you have to have the whale juice because then otherwise why are they hunting these down but they're just a good source of meat i'm not sure like i get it i just don't like it and then maybe i will do a follow-up where i come up with the better way that i would have done it but the through line of earth isn't habitable and near as humans can figure out this is the closest habitable planet for their technology not being able to terraform things so that's why they're making such an effort to settle here yeah there's still a bunch of dicks colonizing the damn place they Which, never fail correct and i mean it could be an interesting it could be a very interesting thesis to go down that route and play with that story I mean, we've seen it dozens of times but doesn't mean it can't it's not it can't be tapped for more as long as they do something kind of unique or new with it or do it well i'm enjoying the movies for the spectacle of them the story not so much yeah yeah i do think that these definitely on an element of visual effect that is intended to take away from the need to have a whole bunch of writing for the script the script itself well well written is a little bit on the expected side i wouldn't i don't want to even go so far as to say generic i just want to say the story itself is similar to others that have been told in a way that the it's not total it is unique but it's not perfectly unique and so the visuals are really what 
carry the movie in a lot of ways because there's really nothing else out there that's quite like this in that sense. Correct. Now, before we wrap up, we know that there are three more movies. Yes. How would you be continuing the series? <sighs> the maybe this is where maybe this is where things get to be different in the fact that this is an innovative story of its own that obviously Cameron's direction at the moment seems to be pretty mapped out in having Quaritch be the antagonist for at least a little while longer. We don't know. How, we don't know how much longer. We just know he may be the antagonist through to the end or he could just be a well, so initial boss. Spoiler, like Cameron has come out and said that he is the like antagonist or at least he is a main character through all the films oh he did say all of them okay yes i know that he said that he had a future but i thought it wasn't entirely clear no like he has a i don't know if he's clarified whether the role is antagonist or what but definitely has a like we'll have to find the clip or the article but i'm 90 percent sure he said he's throughout all the movies and i think he said that after the first one maybe what i tell you i wouldn't do right off the bat is i don't want to see them try to redeem why is that i just don't feel like there's it's hard to feel like there's redemption for him because of everything that he had done however i guess some could argue that he has the memories but the new host body that he's in isn't necessarily evil, but it's really more about the personality and the memories and the soul, unless they're going to make it not be that quite that like this new body has its own soul that he's inhabited. Then I could see them playing around with the laws there, but I don't know. I mean, I get where you're going with it. I feel like that's the direction they're taking him is to redeem him, or at least maybe they'll head down that path and he'll struggle with Especially since they're introducing his son, the son feels like an easy way to get him to be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be a dick. Yeah. Yeah. But I, if I were to guess how the next few films would go, I would see what we we're already talking about, what we we're describing with Quaritch making it to the end and there being some possibilities of him just continuing to be the antagonist until they finally finish the job or he gets a redemption arc and decides to actually be a proper father to spider who knows i wouldn't do that i would have probably personally have made it so that there was a build-up of antagonists we start with quaritch he gets a role in the second one he doesn't make it through the second one in this case he does but in my idea he probably wouldn't and then there would be a new antagonist for three possibly through five because then at that point you kind of feel that sense of everything's better now Korich is gone there's nothing to worry about but then they come back and it's like oh no there's a new big bad and it's an even bigger bad and it's an even bigger problem kind of the i would almost argue the star trek not problem but it's kind of what star trek discovery has been like where i won't get into detail and spoil any of that but i'll just say that it seems like every season they're up against something that feels impossible and yet they somehow manage to overcome and face yet another, even bigger, more unlikely impossible that they still keep. They just keep doing it. And 
it's very enticing and interesting to watch because you want to know. So I guess to me, that's the interesting antagonist style that I think of when I think of, of a story like this, where it would be bigger, badder baddies as it goes. What I understand that. And I mean, like when you have sequels, like the, the threat always has to get like substantially stronger, like as it goes, the villain, the evil. I mean, the hero always essentially levels up to defeat the current evil. So the next evil has to be more powerful or big. So that way they have to level up again, so to speak. Yeah. And I see that happening here. But again, like I would have liked to, there's always, there's something interesting, obviously with the world, with how everyone can connect with everything. And there's Awa seems to be some kind of sentient spirit that lives within the world. But I still would have liked to see this. My direction would have still gone with this interesting take, or for me, interesting at least, of maybe this is a world and a people after they've already done their own damage with climate change and fucking shit up and abuse of the plant. They've had to rebuild and this is them learning to maintain a balance as now they're being under, they're attacked by humans at their own point in their evolution yeah could have been interesting though i would have liked to develop it that way and i know like the third movie is supposed to have villainous navi who are from the fire nation because <laughs> why wouldn't we go down that route and i mean I, it makes sense to have bad navi i mean they all can't be good guys but you know a little odd that it's fire based because yes they all seem to be based around elements we'll see where that goes and how interesting that is but maybe i would have gone with a different element there just that way nobody could make the avatar reference i don't think they're gonna do anything with air because we've already seen floating islands and there have not seemingly been any people of the air other than those who were already of the forest so maybe they're gonna bypass that i don't know possibly Possibly. We're not sure. So they don't get sued. That's a fair point. Although I'm sure they have enough money to combat. I mean, they did kind of spend it all on the movie at a little over 300 million, right? Something. Yeah, but I think they've made 2 billion so far or pretty damn close to it. Yeah, right. They're making that money back. Yeah, the budget was $350 million and it has surpassed 1.9 billion worldwide right now. Almost. Uh, Almost two. That is goddamn close. Yeah, it is. One more interesting little fun fact is Spider's mother's identity is actually revealed in a tie-in comic that we haven't read ourselves, but I learned about this detail online. His mother is Oz Socorro, who was a Scorpion pilot that was killed during the assault on the Tree of Souls. So Farah choked up with a Scorpion pilot that unfortunately died which I think he thinks that his mother went home. If I remember correctly, the dialogue suggested that his mother went home on the ship, but he couldn't go because he couldn't be in cryostasis as a baby. So I wonder if that's going to play in later. That'll be interesting. That will be interesting. I'm curious as well. I don't quite remember that. I don't, you know, there's lots of hints about who his father is. I just don't remember much about the mother being in ship. I must have missed that. Hopefully that's something explored yeah but who knows so i think that about covers our take on avatar 
the way of water. Unless you have anything else to add, I that's all I've got. No, that's all I've got at the moment as well. This may be one of our longest podcast episodes so far, so bravo. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Yes. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, they enjoyed it. Yeah. I enjoyed talking about it. Well, you too. But when you said, I hope you enjoyed it, I figured you were talking to our listeners. I was. I just wanted to make that clear. Yeah, very clear. Crystal clear. Got it. Got it. Clear clear as the water in Avatar. That water is pretty goddamn clear. It really is. It's like the water you see in places where the water isn't a mess. Anyway. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us this week on this episode of We're Too Literary. I've been your host, Kenny. And I'm Jonathan. And as always, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it may be, be sure to hit that subscribe, follow, whichever button, make sure that you know when the next episode drops. We are really happy to be doing this for you guys. And like I talked about earlier, we are going to be exploring other movies where we can feel like we add a little bit more to the overall changes that we'd make instead of watching really good movies and then being like, yeah, I wonder how we do that differently. <laughs> we have a plan for what the next film is. Do we? Don't put this back on me. Well, I'm going to tentatively say Bullet Train because that came out just this last year it i didn't hear that it was bad i didn't hear that it was good i didn't really hear anything about it so i'm gonna reserve that judgment for ourselves unless you've heard things and i have i have not and truthfully that is one that i was looking forward to so i definitely say we do that next all right and we'll be back with bullet train which sounds like it's gonna be a really fun ride so again thank you so much for listening to us we always appreciate it be sure to check out our website, weirdtoliterary.com, and leave us some feedback at weirdfeedback at weirdtoliterary.com. We look forward to hearing from you, and thank you again. Hope you all have a great night. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>